This is the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Kena. Our guest today is Carson P. Porter. Mr. Porter is a retired attorney and currently serves as a governor for the National Patient Safety Foundation, a nonprofit entity established to focus on issues relating to patient safety. He's also the author of Your High Credibility Formula. This book focuses on how to achieve lasting credibility in one's work and life. I'm joined now by Carson P. Porter. Mr. Porter, let's talk about patient safety in the physician practice setting. Well, I'm sure you and anyone listening has seen numerous articles in the media over the last several years about this whole concept of patient safety. I am an attorney by background, not a clinician, but I have spent the last 25 years in the healthcare environment and was asked to help found the National Patient Safety Foundation when the AMA and the American Hospital Association put that together seven or eight years ago. So I spent a lot of time in the last number of years looking at this issue, both as a consumer and as a professional. And in my opinion, it is one of the most dynamic and interesting issues confronting healthcare delivery system in the United States today. Just quickly, some data to kind of set the stage. The National Institute of Health published a book back in 1999, the title of which is To Air is Human. And if any of the listeners wanted to get a copy, they could go to the NIH website and purchase one. In this particular book, which set the real stage for the patient safety movement, NIH reported on several national studies that have been conducted in the hospital setting. And the data from those studies indicate that there's approximately 100,000 people a year dying in our hospitals as the result of medical error. Now, I'm not talking here about malpractice issues so much or error in judgment. I'm talking about systematic errors within the healthcare delivery system. Half of the errors are basically medication errors, wrong dose, wrong patient, wrong time, wrong drug. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But as one of my friends likes to say when he's speaking, think of 100,000 people. That's a lot. It's the equivalent of a fully loaded jet airline falling out of the sky and killing everybody aboard 365 days a year. I read those reports also, and I found the number 100,000 to be surprising, a bit difficult to understand, but the data was calculated carefully, wasn't it? They were. There were two separate studies done, one on the East Coast and one on the West Coast by leading medical institutions about three or four years apart. And a key thing to understand about those studies is in order to even be studied, you had to have died in the hospital setting as a result of what the panel concluded was some kind of an error. Therefore, if the patient uh, left the hospital setting, maybe they went to hospice, maybe they went to a nursing home, maybe they're discharged to home, and they happened to die three or four days later in another setting, they weren't even included in the studies. Now, those studies were understandably alarming for all Americans, and and not the least of which the AMA, American Medical Association, which represents many but not all of our country's physicians. What followed the release of this study? Well, a number of things occurred. Uh, As you pointed out, it got a lot of attention, a lot of press coverage. The AMA and the specialty societies, when we talk about the practicing physicians, had really already started to rally around trying to deal with the patient safety issue. They had come to this a couple of years prior to that study being reported because they began to see that this could be a potential problem. And the American Hospital Association as well. Now, as a result, the Joint Commission on Accreditation of Healthcare Organizations, known as JCO, has developed some very intense patient safety 
regulations and review processes which they utilize when they review uh, nursing homes, hospitals, home care systems, etc. for accreditation. And that's a very powerful thing because if you fail your accreditation, you could be kicked out of the Medicare program, which in effect would put a whole lot of hospitals out of work around the country. Now, those rules and regulations do not yet extend to the physician practice setting, and we have less data in the doctor's office setting than we do in the institutional settings. But clearly, we have systematic errors relating to medication, uh, nosocomial infections within the hospital, falls, and a variety of other, like, you know, wrong site surgery. Of course, when that happens, it's usually a big headline in the press, gets a lot of play, and it does happen from time to time. And as a result, new protocols are put in place and are mandated to be followed now. Simple things like double-checking, doctor. I was a patient in the hospital last summer with some cardiac problems. Even though I was there for eight or nine days and got to know everybody very well, whenever they came in to do anything to me, they did a double-check to make certain I was the right patient and I was getting the right things. I've been involved in preparing hospitals for GACO inspection, and I know it utilizes a tremendous amount of resources, time, labor, capital, but it seems to be worth it, isn't it? Well, I don't think there's any question that it's worth it. My experience in healthcare over the last 25 years leads me to several conclusions. We have one of the best healthcare delivery systems in the world. I don't think that we can argue that we have the best. I'm not sure any country can say they have the best, but there's some really interesting stuff going on in Europe in Asia and Australia in particular. So we clearly have one of the best healthcare delivery systems. But at the root of our healthcare delivery system, things are pretty much driven by either regulation or revenue enhancement. Am I going to get paid for this? Am I not going to get paid for it? And that's a major concern because it's a very costly system. But also regulation. Will I get in trouble if I don't do this? Will I get rewarded if I do do it? And consequently, organizations like the Joint Commission, as well as CMS with the Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement programs, have begun to include quality outcomes and patient safety initiatives among the things that they are rating practitioners on. So the systems driven by positive and negative incentives, all physicians understand acutely the flow of capital in and out of their practices, but they complain more than perhaps understand the true power of negative incentives. Well, it's difficult for me to draw a conclusion about that. I have many, many doctor friends and in the past many clients, and of course they complain, as I would if I were in their shoes, about all the new regulations, all the paperwork, uh, the lack of time to take care of everything, trying to keep up with all the changes. You know, one of the biggest problems confronting the whole healthcare delivery system, particularly physicians, is the unbelievable expansion of the number of medications, prescription drugs available. It brought out pretty much of names, so some of them sound alike, some of them look alike. It can be incredibly confusing, and since so many of them come on the market, much more so than, say, 30 or 40 years ago, it's just a daunting task to keep up with all of the new stuff. And now we're going to talk with Mr. Porter about reducing health care errors. Mr. Porter? Well, we have a variety of system errors that are confounding our health care delivery system. Some of the researchers like to talk about what they call the Swiss cheese model. And let me give you an example. Take a, a medication. A medication, by the time it is prescribed by a physician and reaches the intended patient, goes through a number of hands. In the hospital setting, for example, doctor prescribes the prescription. It goes to the pharmacy to be filled. 
it has to be delivered to the patient, it has to be administered to the patient in the right dose and usually at the right time. In that, I just outlined five or six points where an error could occur. And the Swiss cheese model of, that the researchers cite is, you know, you loaf of Swiss cheese, you got all these holes in there. But rarely do they align properly so that you could run a thread all the way through the loaf of Swiss cheese. And that's what happens with medication errors in our healthcare settings. According to a national study, about 2% of all medications delivered in the hospital setting per year have an error attached to them. Now, that doesn't mean everybody gets harmed because of the Swiss cheese. Typically, somebody catches the problem somewhere along the way. But occasionally, the holes line up perfectly and the medication flows right through all the Swiss cheese right to the patient who might be the wrong patient, might be the wrong med, might be the wrong dose, etc., and harm occurs. Thankfully, most of the time, these people don't die as a result of these medication errors. But of the approximately 100,000 people a year who are dying in our hospitals as a result of healthcare errors, about half of those are medication errors. Have the steps taken to date been sufficient to reduce those, or does more need to be done? Well, clearly more needs to be done, but we have made great strides. Uh, one of the historical problems in the healthcare setting, and I'm sure you as a physician will even admit, the doctors do not have the world's greatest handwriting. And they write these scripts, and sometimes they get misinterpreted. And it's even a bigger problem today because so many drugs have similar names. Sometimes the pharmacist, well, he should be calling if he has a question, but occasionally they think they know what the doc prescribed, and it may be the wrong medication because they couldn't properly read the handwriting. Another problem that occurs is in communication. If the doctor's practice is not doing a good job of communicating to the patient what these prescriptions are, when they're supposed to take them, in what sequence or what combination, etc., that can lead to real problems as well. Now, how are we dealing with this? Well, in a lot of practices and in most hospitals now, they're evolving into computer-oriented order entry and technology. The computerized medical record is on the rise. Now, that's a very expensive thing to implement, but it does have a lot of benefit in attacking potential errors. So what general advice can you give to our listeners, practicing physicians, pharmacists, nurses, nurse practitioners, physicians assistants, or multi-level administrators about what to do next? I think it's by and large, when you look at the physician practice setting, a cultural challenge. And there needs to be a change in the culture of most physician practices. And by that I mean heightened communication, between the people who work in the practice, nurses, technicians, physicians, and with the patient and the patient's family members or advocates. Improved communications could go a long, long way among all these people. Technology can help as well because there's a lot of wonderful computer programs out there that help the physician team select the right medication will raise red flags if the data they ended indicates that this is not the right medication. But the one thing that if everybody wanted to work on that would be so helpful would be improved communications. And there's a tremendous benefit in this for the physicians. There's a couple of studies that were published in the New England Journal within the last two years that demonstrate that an additional three minutes 
interaction between doctor and patient significantly, like by about 90%, reduces the likelihood of claims of malpractice. And I think that's probably the most salient advice, that improved communication involves a kind of mindfulness, a kind of anticipation of the needs of the patient and the practice itself at reducing that signal-to-noise ratio, don't you think? Yes. Uh, one of the things as part of that cultural change that would be extremely helpful, I think, to most patients, particularly when you're seeing multiple physicians, is if somebody could take the lead on the overall coordination of care for the individual patients. When you're bouncing from doctor's office to doctor's office, it gets incredibly confusing. Mr. Porter, I want to thank you for joining us. This has been the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Kina, and you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals.